1: no purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Love Rugby League podcast, bringing you the latest rugby league news, talking points, and exclusive interviews. Listen as fellow fans and experts discuss the burning issues in the game and share their bold predictions. We're out every Wednesday to look ahead to your rugby league weekend.
2: Welcome to the Love Rugby League podcast, talking life and league for 45 minutes or thereabouts every week of the year. One big in-depth feature interview each week with one of the biggest names in the greatest game and all the big issues as well dissected by the Love Rugby League team. Download us on Spotify, Apple, and do please leave a review as well and all the other major podcast providers. And make sure to follow Love Rugby League on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for exclusive news and features from right across Rugby League. You can find us online at loverugbyleague.com. This is the Love Rugby League podcast.
1: Keep up with all things Rugby League, 24-7. Head on over to loverugbyleague.com.
2: Welcome to this week's Big Interview, a weekly look at life and league with one of the sport's biggest names. And this week's guest is one of the best and most fearsome forwards in rugby league. England and St Helens prop forward Alex Wormsley is this week's guest. Hi Al, how are you, mate? Hi George, yeah, uh, good thanks, mate. Not too bad. Steady aware Yourself? Yeah, really good. A um, little on. bit sweaty from a, a long cycle in the sunshine in Manchester, but otherwise fine. We don't need to go into my fitness regime. <laughs> Uh, what, where are you at at the moment? We're we're recording this podcast, I should say, off the back, you know, a few days after your defeat at, at, at Salford, and it's it's been actually a difficult fortnight or so for you. You won at Wakefield, but but there was a little wobble there. You got through, and then and then Salford, you were way off. So, what have the last couple of weeks been like for you and and the team? Yeah, obviously, it's. Um, it... I think the, the Salford game was was exactly that.
0: It was probably a couple of weeks in the making. Um, and they I'm not going to sit here and take anything away from from Wakefield and Salford. Um, you know, they put some good performances, especially the Salford team. Um, to be fair to them, I thought they attacked exceptionally and they really put us to the sword. Um, you know, it's been a long time since we've we've been at the end of something like that. So uh, quite a humbling experience, if I'm honest. Um but, yeah, obviously disappointing with, with where we've been these last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and toss out excuses. That's not a, a mindset we have as a team or, or, or as a club. Um, sometimes you've got to put your hand up and just say we wasn't good enough. And, um, yeah, we, we've been given a good a good reminder
2: of what it takes for us to be our best. And, uh, yeah, we've been far from that recently. What do, what do you think? I don't know what you've talked about. I, I mean, I think that should stay behind Closed doors. I'm not going to ask you about what your review was like, what your what your debrief was like. That's for you and, and Christian Wolf. But but what do you think has has been awry in the last couple of weeks? Because St. Helens have looked invincible in the last couple of weeks. You've you've looked very very beatable, which for me, as an observer, is most unlike St. Helens. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I think that's pretty much the discussions we've had as a team
0: is is sort of trying to put a finger on the reason why we've had these performances and. Um, or should I say lack of performance? If anything, I think it's it's been quite underwhelming from the side who, who sort of pride ourselves on energy, um, on, on working hard, and and really we, we base our performances and our wins on our before sorry our work in the opposition. And in both of those games, you can it's probably clear to say that we wasn't the team who had energy. We wasn't the team who was outworking the opposition, and. Um, you know, you're going to get found out eventually if you're not doing that. So, um, listen, you know, we, we've got a few boys out and I don't think there's any point hiding behind that. Um, you know, we've got some big players to come back into the team at some point. And, but again, that's no excuse. We've got some Gundyug glands who have been in the system for a long time and I think they've stepped up over the last sort of 12, 18 months when we've needed them to do that and they've done so uh, at a real high level. So, um, yeah, listen, we're in a good spot. We're well, four points clear at the top of the league. You know, we, haven't, you know, just, we haven't looked ourselves into that position. We've we found ourselves in that position because we have been in, in, in good form for the vast majority of the season. Um, so, obviously, what these last two weeks have done is have reminded us what we need to do and give ourselves a good,
2: clear insight on what we need to do to get ourselves out of this little hole, so to speak. Uh, Sam Tomkin said something quite interesting, actually, on... On this podcast last week, where because Catalan have had a bit of a wobble as well, uh, and he said it, it's just that weird time in the season where you haven't quite got the adrenaline because you're not quite at the big push for the end, and you've had the start, and everyone's kind of just like sort of nudging each other for position. So he said every team's got that maybe a little bit of fatigue, a little bit of flatness because it's you're kind of in kind of no man's land a little bit.
0: Yeah, do you know, he's it, got a good point there. I think. And um, some can vouch for this. I think when you're at a... And again, I don't want to sound uh, disrespectful to any other club, but when you're at a top four side, to do what we do week in, week out, and, and the effort and, and the high uh, energy performances we put in, it, it takes a lot of you. And, you know, we've we've been sat at the top for the best part of four years. And, and you know, we've, we've not had anything like this for, for over those last four years. And And I suppose at some point we might have been expected to have a bit of a blip and... Um, you know, put that down to whatever. Put that down to fatigue. Put it down to mental fatigue. Um, I'm not too sure, but, but there's one thing clear that as a group, you know, we we have got our sights set on obviously retaining our title again. We want to finish top, and to do that, we need to make sure we get back to our best and get back to our best as quickly as we can. Because you're right, in what you said, and then George is, there's only a few weeks left before the big games coming. Um, listen, it, unfortunately, we play a game where or sport, should I say, where it's all about the end rather than what you do over the last nine months. It's not a team who finishes top of the champions. It's a team who finishes at the back end of the season. Ideally, if everyone fit, everyone flying and going into playoffs and hopefully a grand final with the best form you can. So, listen, we've got a few weeks to build and we're
2: going to make sure that we're building again off the back of, like we said, two disappointing weeks. Uh, just one more on, on on kind of where you are at the moment before we discuss other stuff. it I think it's quite a a, a lazy question that, that some people are, are saying you know a, a saint's kind of wobbling a bit because they don't know what the coach is doing next year I don't necessarily buy that but is that is that anything that's been discussed between you and the players the fact that you actually don't know if Christian's going to be here or not next year no no
0: listen I think one thing what Christian does and has said and he said it in the media is that he's 100% committed to us as a coach so that's all we need to know and worry about at the minute. Um, I'm sure Christian will be revealing one way or another what we will be doing from, from next year onwards and, you know, whether that's with us or elsewhere, you know, we don't know as players but there's one thing we are certain of and, and that's, you know, obviously Wolfe's commitment to us as a team and, and a club and, and so there's, there's one thing you, you, you can't question Wolfe and that's his, his commitment and desire for us to go on to achieve what we've talked about achieving all season. So, uh, no, I don't think that plays in any part in, in what's happened. I think I think it's just a little bit of a blip. I think we've had a bit of a, a reminder, a good reminder, and you know, as players, would like to get reminded now rather than in six, seven weeks'
2: time. So Put it that way. Yeah, and the top four then, in, 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 more generally, uh, how how do you view it? I mean, you you have been the ben- benchmark Saints, and you you still are, despite you know your little stutter. How how do you view that top four? It looks to me as strong a top four as I can remember in recent seasons. Yeah, I, I think it's,
0: it's hard to tell where it's going to go. I think the top four at the minute, I don't see anyone coming into that top four I, I, at the present, just maybe due to points and, and gaps. Um, I think the, the top four there will probably be the top four at the back end, but I think the way Solfer played against us and their form at the minute, they could easily creak up and, and put themselves in contention. I think Leeds are starting to get a bit of form. Um so, you know, obviously, as, as a top four, it's, it's very, very tough. And, you know, I think we could all beat each other on the day. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think everyone's going to be quietly confident in their camp. Um, it, and, you know, not just, like I said, not just in that top four. I think there's a few sides outside of it who will fancy themselves. And should they get everyone fit and well and healthy and in a good bit of form at the back end of the season, they'll be putting their hands up and wanting to put their cat amongst the pigeons. So... Um, there's a lot to play for um, we know that and everyone else knows
2: that so yeah let's, let's keep building you'd not want to play Leeds in a grand final would you? <laughs> you know well history
0: <laughs> says not <laughs> I mean I mean I, you know I'll say thankfully obviously I wasn't involved in those games but I was only involved as as a Leeds fan funny enough a few years okay. ago before Simon Settling so were well, you uh, there? I've been to I've been to a couple went to a couple yeah the back end I was a isn't to get older growing up obviously I'm a Jewish lad, so um uh, I went to went to a couple of them gone finals and um but yeah I think from, from a Saint's point of view let's hope this you don't repeat itself.
2: Uh, what about you then your dare I say it in your twilight years in your in your career how how fierce is your drive and, and what are your ambitions like at the moment uh, my ambitions are good my drive
0: is good I think one thing I can say, and you know, obviously I'm, I'm sitting at 32 years old and and, and you're right, so I'm, I'm definitely at the back end, I suppose, the beginning of my career. Uh, cheers for that one. <laughs> cheers for that reminder. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, but I think one thing what, what will save me and, and hopefully give me an extra few years, what, you know, I didn't come into the professional game until I was 22 years old. You know, I played amateur. I went to university, I did things where I probably didn't put my body through the thing, quiet things, quite the same things of what you see sort of your modern Super League player puts himself through 18, 19, 20 years old especially in my position so uh, I feel pretty good I feel pretty pretty well I like to think I've got a few years left in the in the body yet and um, you know it, I think the successes we've had these last few years just if anything drives your hunger and desire even more um, we want to do something what no one else has ever done and and to do that you know you've got to make sure that you're at your best and And that's what we're doing as players and myself amongst that is, you know, I'm I'm driving myself physically and and mentally and I'm enjoying myself. And that's, for me, the key to to enjoying, sorry, to performing well is enjoying what you're doing. And they say, yeah, a happy fighter is a dangerous fighter. And that's that's true in any field or sport you're involved with. And uh, thankfully, I'm at a good club and we've got a good team and a good set of lads around me who makes that quite easy to do so. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really enjoying my rugby. Um been looking forward to the back end of the season and and hopefully a, a woke-up campaign as well. Um yeah, I, I like to think I'm a pretty good spot.
2: Yeah, we'll come on to England and the World Cup in, in a sec. In in terms of your background, I do love stories like yours when you kind of find your your calling, if you like, a bit late. What what might your life have looked like? What I mean, where were you heading before rugby league came and tempted you in and said, now come and do this out instead? <laughs> Quantity surveying. Um, that's where I was going to be. And then
0: oh, I suppose I was tested to do that, I think.
2: Is that um, when you were studying?
0: Yeah, that's what I studied at, at university. Yeah. So um, Leeds. Leeds met. Leeds met. Yeah. Got a degree, 2 1. I don't know how I managed to get myself a 2 1. <laughs> um, there's somewhere between the years. Um, but yeah, I got, got a 2 1 <laughs> in quantity surveying. And I actually got offered um, a job as a, as a QS. I mean, I was playing part time at, at Batley. And, and for me, I think that was sort of the pinnacle. Um, for what where I thought I'd, I'd achieve in sort in rugby league. Um, you know, I was playing for my local amateur team, Dresby Celtic, right up until twenty one and um, you know, and we were playing in a decent competition, the national conference and, you know, playing against some good physical sides. And I suppose that was a good apprenticeship in terms of my rugby league career. Um at 18, 19 growing up against some big physical men so it does sort of especially my our position, my position, it nurtures you into into being a put forward and um yeah, I think the pinnacle for me was part-time rugby, and getting the opportunity to go to Bartley was for me what would be the um, the elite. And um, I didn't expect to to go on and sort of have the career I've had. And um, right up until signing for St. Helens, I was destined to be a quantity surveyor. Um, i would just finished my, my last year. I got offered a, a job with um, a firm in Wakefield, funny enough, and it was a it was a Wakefield fan the the guy who, who offered me a job and. Um, in The interview he actually asked me because he knew I was playing at Batley. He sort of said, you know, we want someone to come into uh into the company and and sort of manage it and then in 10, 15 years' time be the head of our surveying department and and sort of looking long term as opposed to just someone who comes in and does a bit here and he sort of put it on me as you know, are we going to lose you to rugby league? Because I want someone who's going to be here for the next 20 years. And uh I saw him, and I, I sort of said that you know I was 22 at the time and um, I can't remember what the fellow was called unfortunately but I sort of said to him you know i I've missed that boat you know if I was to be a full time ugly player I'd be picked up 18, 19 so um, you know as far as I'm concerned and aware um, the most I've be doing is part time and if that got in the way of, of this then I'd probably hang that up as well because this is something I might be doing for the next 30 years um, and you know you offer me a job off the back of that and the week before I was supposed to start, I had to ring him and say, "Sir, would give me a three-year deal." So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a bit of an awkward conversation. Uh, it was made up for me. It was a Wakefield fan, so, but yeah, uh, the week I was supposed to start, I'm "Offered me a three-year deal," and that was me—the beginning and the end of my quantity surveying career.
2: And so, was, was just going back to Batley, Was that John Keir then? Was was he? Was yeah. he there then?
3: So was yeah, he quite was,
2: uh, kind of a big big part of you becoming a the player you've been? I'd say so, yeah, I think as, obviously
0: when I signed for Batley, I actually only went on, initially on a, on a trial, um, one thing I was adamant about was, I wanted to play rugby league, obviously i played rugby all my life, and I was playing at Jewish Celtic, with all my mates, and having the best time of my life, um, you know, and I was going on ball tours and things, I you know, I'd just been to South Africa, within the 20s, I'm just about to go to Dubai with, with the open age, and, you know, seeing some great parts of the world, and, I didn't want to lose my amateur status uh, by signing the contract, so I initially went on trial to see if it was for me and and probably for the for the club as well if it was right for them. And um, you know, obviously, I, I got offered a deal and I signed for Batley. And um, you know, we probably weren't expecting me to play as many games as I did for Batley that year, but I played the full season. And and Keri was great. One thing I'd say about John Kieran he was probably the perfect coach at, at the time for me in, in terms of my development because. He just got the best out of you, you know. And there was nothing too technical for me personally. It was just sort of getting used to this level and 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 speed of game and um, the physical side of it stuff. What you know, as as a as a young prop forward, you, you don't need to worry about the technical stuff, so to speak. And um, without sounding cliche, if you can run hard and you can tackle hard, then you've got an half decent chance and you know having a go at it. And that's what John was the best for me at, at getting out of you. He was he wanted to push you and, and he sort of developed me in, in that side of the things and he was quite big on me side of St. Helens as well and you know he put a strong voice in there and, and really helped me with, with that transition and I think that's probably why John's had the successes he's had as, as the coach as well he's not just doing it on an individual basis but I think the the teams he's coached and, and the successes he's had I'll, I suppose from an underdog environment shows the kind of person he is and he does get the best out of you um, and there wasn't just John there, there was his assistant there, Mark Moxon, who was probably took a bit more of a, um, a personal approach mm-hmm. to, to my game and, and sort of did work on those little core skill areas. And You know, I can remember going to Batley and, and it's funny because it, I've still got that reputation at its of to not being able to play the ball and, and catch a ball and pass and, and these things you take for granted at 16, 17 when you come through the academy and scholarship and... Um, so, you know, I, I, there were some good quality coaches there. And I think it, with that environment, and was similar to being at Duesby Celtic, and it was quite an underdog team there. You know, it was a young side, was playing in a national conference against some ex-professionals, semi-professionals and some big players. And we always had that underdog mentality. And then that was the same at Batley. Um John, you know, took us nearly to a grand final that year. He took him to a grand final the year after. And... Um, in the, in the championship and, and at a club where you look at their salary cap compared to some others in, in that league it's, it goes to show what kind of person he is and what kind of coach he is he does get the best out of you and yeah he definitely did have a really big impact on my career and probably
2: where I am now It gives me shivers whenever you mention Dewsbury Celtic as, a, as an amateur footballer as, as I was I played for Yorkshire amateurs and whenever we played Dewsbury Celtic it was the most awful nasty physical <laughs> horrible game <laughs> I can still, I can still remember some of them for like thirty years ago. Oh,
0: oh no! no to be fair, yeah, <laughs> West <stone> lads, there. <laughs>
2: That's it. Um, when I when I was doing um a bit of reading back on you, and I knew you were coming on the podcast, I was fascinated mm-hmm. by the um the stuff where you've been asked about you know feeling like an imposter, uh, you know the imposter syndrome. I, I, mental health is a massive passion of mine. I, you know, I do a fair bit of work in in that field now, and it's something I struggled with myself when I started broadcasting. And I remember when I started working at the BBC, um, I just thought, well, they're not going to employ someone like me because I've got no qualifications to do this job. Like, they'll, you know, they'll get they'll give me a bit of a go for a while, and then and then that'll be it. You know, and like reading what you said about the start of your career, it, it kind of like it was as though you were talking about how I felt at the time. Yeah. It's yeah, I mean, just, can you sorry, just you know, talk, talk to me a bit more about that because I, I, think, I think it's more widespread than and it's great that it gets talked about more now. It's more widespread, maybe because it's got a label. You know, yeah. I don't know that people actually do open up about that kind of thing a bit more now. and it's, It is quite widespread,
0: yeah, I think so. And I think let's listen to you then, George. And, and, and I suppose since uh, you know, I, I sort of spoke about it, I am not get wrong, I didn't kind of speak about it in a, in a way to, to do all of that kind of effect mm. on people or or sort of um, you know broadcast it or whichever it was kind of just a, you know, how I felt at the time and um, and and you know slim to yourself I think when you've when you've, you're have you surrounded by people who were sort of the elite and have been and, and the people you've watched on TV and um, for me missing everything I missed at such a young age so, and because it was such a trans- quick transition as well it, it might have took me by surprise a little bit but I can remember going into training and not being able to, like I said, you know, catch a ball if I hit in my chest. You know, this is something what everyone's done at 16 years old. And, and, you know, there were so many factors where I focused on because I felt these are where I'm going to be held back. And this is where I'm going to get found out. You know, obviously I'm six five and I'm 18 stone. You know, if, if I've got a bit of speed, then I'm probably going to, do a decent carry or I'm going to make a decent tackle you know that's just physics but there's more to, phys- more to our game than just physics and um, I, I did I genuinely thought I was going to get found out at some point and it would be kind of oh well we can't pass the ball you no know, you can't catch a ball you, you don't play the ball right like every single time in the game you know you're not good enough so thanks for trying but off, off you pop and, and back to the championship where you belong and, um, and that's just how I felt for, for a long time and even I suppose when I was playing week in week out, when and, and all those again it come by surprise. But when I started at for Saints, you know the, the aim was I was going to play four, four or five games that first year, and if I did that, then I've done really well. And when I found myself playing after the third week because of injuries, you know it, it come as a surprise, and and it threw myself in the deep end. And um, but again, I was still expecting once everyone got back fit and everyone else had come back and. You know, was match fit and ready to play. Then I'd, I'd get a tap on the shoulder and I would back onto your edge. And um, to stay in the side and, and give you that confidence was the start of it. But it, it took a while to go. And I think you, you you do sort of doubt yourself. And but I think that was probably the making of me as well, doubting myself because it made me push myself even harder, I suppose, and and want to learn these things and and sort of learn my own craftsmanship to to be able to have a I suppose a career out of it uh, at the very least. I'm not talking international or what they like at the time. I just wanted to to be a good Super League player, and and that gave me the drive. Having this sort of inferior complex of what other people had and and what they could do and what they did without even thinking, took for granted. I had to really work harder, and um, you know, and and yourself, George. You know what I mean? You you've done exactly the same. It'd have been areas as well. I'm sure you thought that you'll struggle with and you looked around you and there were people who could just do it and naturally. And you think, you know, and, and you sort of critique yourself even harder, I suppose, to then push yourself to give you that elevation you
2: know to, to kick on. Uh, I mean, I'm, I am genuinely fascinated by this and, and certainly from your point of view because if you, you are filled with that imposter syndrome, self-doubt, you've got to go out, you've literally got to go out into battle so you've really got to dig deep mentally. It, it, it was a little bit different for me because, I mean, I started my career out, it was more, I felt exposed because I had no you know I was suddenly going into broadcasting and you know I did a French degree at university. I had no journalistic qualifications at all. And suddenly I was like, all right, all right, lad, go on the rate, go on national radio and read tell us about the sport. And I'm like, well I, I knew I could do it, but I didn't know why, you know. I shouldn't be doing this someone else should be doing this does that make sense I'm not not the person who should be doing this and that's how it felt for me and that kind of turned into them so I brought the self-doubt on myself and that and I've not really spoken about this but it really followed me kind of throughout my career and it's kind of like I I kind of developed this confident bluster I don't know why you maybe that's how you became the physical enforcer that you were because I was so consumed with the self-doubt I became more kind of confident on the outside which you know people may have seen you know oh he's got he's cocky or he's got an ego or something where where actually the opposite was the case because if that's how I was feeling Um, you know do you you think that's kind of molded you into the, the kind of person that we see when we when we turn up and watch you in the stadium or on tv that that no nonsense fearsome enforcer that's because of how you were feeling inside of how you had to show people or try and convince people that you were you were the player they thought you were yeah, maybe. I think I think especially in, in my
0: position as well and the expectation of having that um that approach and, and that mentality to the game and, and again that you, know, you talk you talk about position, you've got to impose yourself into that position, aren't you, as well? And you've got to give yourself this this area and sort of um that's to explain it, but you know, you you've got to be commanded and you've got to put yourself in a position where you are going to impose yourself. You have got to be physical. You've got to show stuff what you know. You might not come naturally, and and at the time it, it was that. But I think the hardest part was was being able to do it. Was actually getting a little thing is being confident enough to catch a ball to pose that physical side of the game because physical side of the game was there. You know, it was always it was in my you know it's, it's in my genes. I'm like I'm I said, six foot five, eighteen stone, and you know, I can I can move quite awkwardly and, and shift and then eventually give up a little bit of speed, but that confidence to catch a ball off a dummy half, to allow myself to, to do what I wanted to do was was I suppose where I struggled and, and needed to be become confident and, and allow it to become second nature and I suppose actually look like a professional as opposed to someone who was floundering out there. Um, you know, and that enough I think being in a, in a good team, surrounded by good people, helps you accelerate that. It brings you on having good, and again, good coaches. Um, but the proof's in the pudding. Unless, unless you're out on the big stage doing it, you know you get found out pretty quickly, and you won't be on that stage for much longer. And um, I always wanted to be the best version of I can of myself, and and again, that that sort of drives you to to improve. And, and become someone what well, not just who
2: you expect yourself to be, but what everyone else expects of you as well. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really interesting. Uh, I'm glad, I'm glad we we talked about that a bit. You mentioned the big stage, so why don't we talk about um, England for the next few minutes and the World Cup, the you know the biggest possible stage? How how are you feeling about that? With you know a few months to go now. Yeah, I, it sounds cliche, but
0: I'm trying to keep it at the back of my mind. Um, you know, obviously, I want to make sure I'm performing well for Saint Helen's. I want my form to be good. I want to be, phys- I want to be, you know, physically well and fresh and, and going into that World Cup campaign. But I just feel there's a, there's a huge, enormity on us as a, not just as a sport, but as a nation to make sure we perform well in this World Cup for for our game. You know, it's the limelight's on us. Um, we don't often get that. It's a World Cup up on home soil. There's going to be a lot of cameras on us. You know, we're going to get our own. We're going to be on. BBC, or ITV, I think, I'm not too sure, Channel 4, Skyway, whichever. There's going to be a lot of broadcasters showing our games. And I feel like as a nation and as a team, um, I'm talking about the women's as well as wheelchair here, but I mm. feel like we need to perform. We need to get, look at what what the, the ladies, England um, football team, have done this, this summer, and what that's done to their game, and how that's going to kick on and, and have so many unbelievable successes and, and rightly get all the talents that they deserve and they're going to have sponsorship and everything off the back of that come flooding into their game and because what they've achieved as as a team as, as a squad of 24 young women and they've gone on and won the Euros
2: they're going to really boost their game Well the biggest we thing for that, that, is, that is you've got to get the public on side which is what the women's Euros yeah. team have done brilliantly but they've done that because they've been brilliant so you yeah. you the the only way you do that is by by being great and winning games, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and that's where I feel like the pressure's on us as as a sport. We need to make sure that we do perform well,
0: we do win. Uh, I'm not I'm, I'm not silly. I think the stocks, the, sorry, the um, the odds are going to be stacked against us in terms of what the bookies think. And and obviously New Zealand will come over. New Zealand, Australia will come over as big favorites as always. Tonga, you know, you look at how Fiji performed in the last World Cup. There's so many great nations now where. You talk eight eight years ago, even four years ago, you could sort of pick the, the semi finalists and the finalists. Out of one hand, you know, you always going to be Australia, England, New Zealand, and and maybe a Fiji or someone mm-hmm. like that. But I think where the game is now, all your your other nations getting better, especially in, in the in the southern hemisphere, it's going to be even harder. Um, but we're up what what challenge? And I suppose. You know, if there's one thing we've got as a squad and as a nation and under Sean Wayne is we've got a lot of pride in our country. There's a lot of pride in, in wearing the jersey and wanting to succeed. And, and and you're right, though, for us to go on and and propel our sport into where I believe it deserves to be, and that's in the in the limelight, we need to perform well and we need to get the wins. It, it's a it's a performance game business, and unless you're all getting the wins and, and the victories and it, getting these sponsors, getting this, you know, Getting our household, sorry, getting our sport as a you know, household name again, mm. becomes harder and harder. So you know we know that the pressure on us, and I think as as a squad, we're going to really enjoy that and, and thrive under under that, and hopefully be uh, a part of a really good successful World Cup campaign. And
2: and um, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll come well as a sport off the back of it. That pride of pulling on the the England jersey, does that still count even though the new jersey looks like a Scotland top? I'm half Scottish so I've won on both counts Anna. so
0: <laughs> I can um, I, before my mum passed away I promised her I'd represent Scotland at one point so maybe this will count yeah um, but no all, all jokes aside it's, it's I think colours are, and I saw Sam Tompkins say something recently you know no Doesn't one's going to yeah. care about no one's going to care about colours as long as we're winning
2: he and said then, that you know, on this
0: podcast last week so I'm glad that you're listening you see there, there you go mate there you go we, we want to <laughs> We want to make sure that we uh, you know you can put put a bin bag on us for us. As long
2: as we're winning, I think Evan will be happy. Love it. Um a couple of quick questions because I can see there's some younger members of your family in more need <laughs> of your company now than I am. Uh is James Trobe gonna be in that squad? the World Cup squad?
0: Yeah. Um I, honestly I, I don't know. I think I think if he said he'd he'll play, i I think he would be. Um I don't know what the conversations he's had with Wayne have been, to be honest, but I think if he puts his hands up and says, I want to play then,
2: I don't think there's a better nine in our game, English nine in our game anyway. And, and you, we've, we've reflected quite nicely on your career and the, the different elements of it. Any regrets that you've never gone to the NRL? And, and Did you ever have that chance? So I lost you then, George. What was that? Uh, any regrets from you that you've never gone and chanced your arm oh, in the yeah. NRL? Was that ever an opportunity for you? Yeah,
0: plenty of opportunity to be honest, and, and something I turned down on three or four occasions. But um, I, I like. I think the only regret what what will sit with me is it, there's always this sort of stigma of of you've got to prove yourself out there if you want mm. to be uh, acknowledged as 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 a good player. Um, you know, and, and it, it, listen, I, I'm I'm telling home now with with three kids and, and a partner, and you know, in quite a modest house. So, I wouldn't have any of that if it wasn't for, for staying at St. Helens. I wouldn't have had the three boys, and for me, going to Australia I might jeopardize that. You don't know what, what happens in the future, does it? So, um, you've got to put price and happiness. And for me, I've always been happy, and why risk, um, why risk you know, jeopardizing in your happiness? And for a few extra quid, you, you know, and, and that's what it boiled down to always in the end. and. Again, the only sticking point would be to sort of say, "Yeah, put me out amongst the best and and pull myself over there." But um, but listen, you know, some things aren't meant to be, and I don't think there'd be any more opportunities now. Um, as you keep saying, George, I'm at
2: the twilight. So um... <laughs> only say it once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, listen, we'll, we'll we'll leave it there. I really appreciate your time this afternoon. I'll let you get back to you, to your family, but best of luck for. Uh, For the coming weeks, the rest of the season, and of course for England in the World Cup as well. Thanks, mate. Really enjoyed it. Cheers. Alex Warmsley, this week's big interview.
1: Keep up with all things rugby league 24 7. Head on over to loverugbyleague.com.
2: So, Alex Warmsley, this week's big interview on the Love Rugby League podcast. Josh McAllister, a Love Rugby League's reporter, joins us to dissect that uh, and discuss uh, everything else rugby league over the course of the past seven days. Uh, Josh, what fascinated me, as, as I'm sure you could probably tell during that chat, was, was with the stuff when he's he's discussing, discussing his self-doubt and, you know, such an imposing, fearsome prop forward, a guy who, listening to him, thought, he wasn't going to have a, a job as a rugby league player, certainly not an elite full-time professional sportsman. He was going to be a quantity surveyor, uh, riddled with self-doubt wherever he's been. But you look at where he is now at, at, at 32 in his testimonial year, and arguably, both for, for St Helens in England, I don't know what you think about this, arguably, certainly in terms of the pack, the, the first name you would have on, on your team sheet now.
3: Yep, wouldn't disagree. I think he's going to be a starter for England at this year's World Cup in, in such a massive World Cup as well. Drew, Drew Derbyshire, uh, Deputy Head here at Loverable League, he's been putting out weekly predicted uh, lineups at the World Cup and this week is England, so keep an eye out for that. And uh, Alex Wormsley was was in the start in 13 and an easy decision really. He's, he's been and is one of the best props in the competition. Uh, Drew probably had him in the Scotland
2: team though as well, didn't
3: he? Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: He did, he did. He did actually reference uh, in in that big interview that you just heard, Alex Walmsley you know, he, that he he could could have a bit of Scotland in him uh, as well. And also interesting that none of the players care about the kit. All this debate about the England kit being blue and white, but looking more like Scotland. None of the players care. It's all about winning. And like Sam Tompkins said last week, you know, you're winning that kit. People are going to buy it. And as uh, as Big Al Warmsley has, has said just now. You could play and win in a bin bag and people would want to be seen in it. And it's all about being a successful team. Uh, that is still to come. Uh, in terms of other matters, uh, a few big rugby league stories over the uh, over the last seven days and a fair bit of movement in the playoff positions as well. That jostling for the, the top six, absolutely fascinating. Leeds and Salford really vying for performance of the week, Josh. I only saw the dramatic comeback from the Rhinos. Didn't see the whole game, but I wasn't. At, at Salford's game against Alex Warmsley's St Helens, and they were absolutely brilliant. Paul Rowley, our guest on this Rugby League podcast a couple of weeks ago, you know, quietly talking them up. If we get in the playoffs, we could be we could be dangerous. As I said to to Rowley in the, in the press conference after that game, you're dangerous now, Paul. They they were absolutely brilliant, and there'll be talk of Saints being off, but I don't I can't think of many teams who could have lived with Salford like that. And Tim Lafay's performance. Absolute joy joy to watch. They're they're quietly going along really, really nicely,
3: aren't they? Yeah, uh, and I can't can't remember the last time someone put 40-odd points past St. Helens. So even if it was a bad day for them, I can't remember the last time someone put 40 points. Six
2: years. Yeah, it was the start of the 2016 season, I think. um, It was the heaviest defeat since then, anyway.
3: Yeah, so Uh, I I wasn't there, but I've I've only heard good things for Tim Lafayette and Joe Burgess as well. He had I think he had a bit a little bit of a dig at, at John Wilkin after the game, didn't he? Because for the comments yes, that, that was funny. The sports. But they are looking like a dangerous team. We saw it in Catalan. It's not, it's not lucky either, is it? Um it's not one off. They beat Warrington. They were down. They came from behind, beat Warrington. They played superbly against Catalans at home and now they're beating St. Helens. So you know they are a real force this year.
2: I'd be interested to see how Saints respond to that because Christian will quite rightly point to you out this this wasn't just a one-off a slump against the Salford side. He was he was keen to credit. It was actually, it's been a fortnight now because although they beat Wakefield, they needed a golden point to avoid um a real shock against a, a team in real danger of going down. So they've been off off the pace, off the boil for for a couple of weeks now. You you would anticipate a big response um from St Helens and, and Salford in really good a really good position to to have a go. And their their match with Leeds coming up looks looks an absolute cracker we we've had a bit of a, a joke in the last couple of weeks in the love rugby league office about <laughs> about which which side which yorkshire side might might roll over and allow, <laughs> allow wakefield to to avoid relegation i'm i'm certain that's not what happened but but castleford did lose to them where on earth did, did that come from credit wakefield who, who, who were terrific but i i wouldn't have predicted that from from cast the way they've
3: been going yeah i think Injuries are showing now, aren't they, across several teams. Uh, I was at Wigan versus Hull-KR on the Thursday, and Hull-KR were decimated. And They've, they've lost even more players after that. Castleford and another team that have been hit with injuries. And the amount of pressure on Wakefield, I'm sure that in the sheds afterwards, that would have been massive relief. And they'd have known the result from Hull versus Toulouse, I think, what kicked off a couple of hours beforehand. So they would have known a win would have got them off the foot of the table. That's exactly what they did.
2: Uh, Interesting bit of bit of gossip. I don't know uh, whether this is is true or not. So uh, so take it with a pinch of salt if you like. But various teams who have who have played at at Toulouse recently have been complaining that their changing room is very, very hot and a lot hotter than actually the home dressing room. There's a school of thought that uh, (laughs) that someone in the Toulouse staff might be turning off the aircon. to give themselves a bit of advantage. <laughs> I don't know whether that's the case or not, but I've heard it from more than one person that the visiting teams at the moment are finding it really hot. It might just be that it's the south of France and it's going to be a lot hotter and than it, if you're going hot. to play at the AJ Bell. <laughs> <laughs> well, they should
3: flip it, maybe. If they remain a super next year, flip it. And if there's any heat is on in the likes of February and March, turn them off. Keep to freezing yeah. up next year. That's it.
2: I, I have heard stuff like this before. Um, talking off St. Helens, back at at uh, their old ground at Knowsley Road before that was uh, that was demolished. Um, I remember hovering, kind of outside the the very tight uh, tunnel dressing room area there after a match. Can't remember which one to, to conduct a few interviews, and I remember a lot of the visiting players leaving saying that they they hadn't even turned the hot water on. They had to have cold showers uh, afterwards. Yeah, all the, the other side, the Saints players opened the door, and this this, this wall of steam <laughs> emerged. So there was clearly no boiler issues there. Uh, so I don't know the the marginal gains, perhaps uh, in rugby league, but uh, yeah, elsewhere. So where were you? Did you was that was that the one game you took in, or did you get anywhere else after that? Were that you was just one game, man. Yeah, week? just yeah.
3: the one game on the on the uh, on the Thursday Wigan Hall Car 46 four Ben French hat trick, Liam Marshall hat trick and save more injuries for Hull KR. Danny Maguire joked after the game that he's going to have to put his boots back on. I mean, I'd, he'd probably still give it a good game as well. Uh, legend, you know, you know,
2: he absolutely could.
3: Yeah. Danny Maguire is one of those annoying
2: people who is good at every single sport. When he goes and play, plays golf, he, he scores a ridiculous score. When he plays snooker, when he plays pool, he can do absolutely everything. Everyone had one of those people in their year at school who could play absolutely every sport, and it's Danny Maguire. Uh, So, yeah, it'll be be interesting to see where where Rovers go uh, for the run into the season. My my other excursion, Josh, uh, this weekend was to Headingley Stadium uh, to to take in Summer Bash, which was a rarity. Obviously, we've not had that for the last three years. We're used to it being at Blackpool. So would it work? Does it still work as a concept? Uh, Well, as as visitors to to LoveRugbyLeague.com will have no doubt read this week, the overall attendance was lowest. Was it lowest ever?
3: Low, lowest so, ever, yeah, 10,763. Yeah, so that's obviously a disappointment, but
2: I, I would say not a major surprise. I only went on the Saturday when there were four games and uh, I was commentating on the on the headline game, Featherstone-Lee and, again, Lee were, well, I was going to say Lee were brilliant. They weren't brilliant. They were far too good for Featherstone is, is what I would say. I, I actually thought for a lot of that game there was a chance there for Featherstone. When they worked it wide and Joey Lay-Lewis Le scored, I thought this is it. This is what Featherstone could do, but they just couldn't sustain it. Uh, and Lee just looked at a, a class above again. Uh, as a as an overall spectacle, I, yeah, I felt they struggled a bit. It was good. The the two behind the sticks areas were, were packed, which is obviously where the you know the two fans of the two teams playing will go traditionally behind both posts. A lot of fancy dress, a lot of booze flowing. It had that good carnival. Feel about it. I thought the the in-stadium entertainment. I think the RFL got right. Um, what was a problem is that they they shut the south stand, which I understand because that's the side you where the TV cameras are. So if you're going to shut a side, you're going to shut a side which you don't see on camera for aesthetic reasons. Like, you know, I've been crying out for that all season. Be cuter with with how you produce your coverage. So they got that right. But what it meant for for that huge south stand where all the media still are in the, in the press box in the in the middle of that. There's no atmosphere. So all the people who were there to write about the game and commentate and report and broadcast on the game, they were left with that feeling that actually there wasn't a great atmosphere. So I thought that was a shame. I didn't know the attendance figures while I was there, but I I sensed it would probably be low. Does it still work as a concept? I I think it does. I've, I've questioned the magic weekend concept in Super League. I think there's a much stronger argument for Summer Bash because the teams involved in Summer Bash simply don't have these opportunities as often as Super League clubs do. You know, it's not that big of a draw for teams like Wigan, St Helens, uh, Leeds, Catalan to go and play uh, on one weekend at St James's Park because they would hope they will be at uh, Wembley or a grand final that year. So they will have that big game experience. None of these 14 teams have that. So this is why it works. And it's a great day out for the fans. I think it works. I think it needs to be somewhere else other than Headingley. Yes, this is this was the return for one year at Headingley. But I think it has to be somewhere like Blackpool, if not Blackpool, it has to be somewhere to go for the fans. So you're going somewhere as well as the rugby. Uh, so let's go and have a, a weekend away. It's a road trip. We're by the sea. There's other stuff to do. Um, we can go around, have a little bit of a pub crawl, whatever you want to do. And then we can have the rugby rather than just driving to Leeds to a big stadium that is never going to be full and watching your team and then probably going home. I don't know what you think. I, I think I think the concept's good. I think it will still work, and I think that gate will come back up if it's if it's back somewhere, if not Blackpool, but somewhere similar.
3: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Summer Bash. I've, I've attended it a few times as a, as a fan at Blackpool's Bloomfield Road. And you're right, Henley Stadium. Just it just it, uh, Premier Sports coverage was good as it always is, but it just felt a little bit flat. There was a big question mark over Henley Stadium ahead of it. And, and he, just the, the stadium, probably just a bit too big. I think I had a look. I think the capacity is 3,000 more than Bluefield Road and Bluefield Road's tight in, whereas Headley Stadium, obviously they've got, you've got the open corners. So the atmosphere when there's not that many people in there can be lost a little. I'd like to see it back, probably back at, if it was up to me, Blackpool, Bloomfield Road. I just think that was the perfect location. As you say, there was things to do around the stadium. There's lots of accommodation affordable accommodation as well lots of things to do for families there's the beach you, you have the it's called the summer bash and Blackpool sort of brings that sort of summer vibe doesn't it whereas in Leeds it just didn't it just didn't feel quite the same I don't think it'll have a long-term future at Leeds
2: uh, let us know what you think leave a comment on the love rugby League website underneath the uh, the podcast article or reach out on social media we're on Facebook we're on Instagram we are on uh, Twitter your thoughts are on the summer bash where are you off this week, where's your rugby league boat floating? I should, you, Josh?
3: I, should, I should have warned you this one before asking before going on the podcast. <laughs> my, my car's going in the garage Friday till Monday. <laughs> <So> that's me. <laughs> that's me uh, on the couch. Drew, I think Drew's off uh, off to a couple of games. He's doing it. He, Drew's at St. Ellen's on the Sunday. Um, I think, and it's Wigan Warrington, isn't it, on the Friday? So I know yeah. other league representatives will be at games this weekend. Just not me because my car has a big scratch on it that's going to cost me a fortune.
2: You've had that months.
3: You told me your mate
2: was going to sort that out for you. <laughs>
3: I'm finally getting it sorted. I am. I am.
2: You should get yourself a push bike. I've I've cycled to games before, and probably still, maybe not during the uh, the next few months when it gets colder. But uh, I'm uh, yeah, I might go to Wigan Warrington. Haven't decided yet. Possibly Huddersfield Hull FC. I'll, I'll see. Certainly witness Featherstone on the Sunday and the Saturday. I'm spending the entire day for Yorkshire Finals Day at Batley. Uh, working for, for the RFL it's a long day I haven't worked out how many games there are in that but it's a whole day there so looking forward to some grassroots rugby league as well Josh great to have you on I hope you've all enjoyed this week's Love Rugby League podcast make sure you look us up and download and review us and tell your mates we'll see you next week on the Love Rugby League podcast
1: for listening to the Love Rugby League podcast. Know someone who shares our collective love for rugby league? Let them know about this podcast and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Eager for more rugby league news? Visit loverugbyleague.com Sports Social Podcast Network.